Number one, the commercial fitness business is a very small component of the overall well-being betterment business, uh, which commercial fitness is a very small component of, right? Um, so, you know, if we're going to refine and, and kind of define the conversation around commercial fitness, you know, obviously, um, you know, what we've seen is uh, delivery of user experience in ways that are more appealing uh, and profitable to the customer. And the one I like to use as an example is SoulCycle, uh, which basically delivered a very well integrated singular kind of solution uh, using technology that was frictionless, hyper-personalized, and did it at a premium price and became the most pro profitable uh, commercial fitness business uh, in, the, in the last decade. From being able to schedule and pay for classes for a studio like SoulCycle, to an app that allows you to track your fitness progress, to watches and trackers that allow you to measure your heart rate and how many calories you're burning, to all types of different equipment. TVs and our treadmills. Think about all the ways that technology is impacting how we exercise. Technology completely disrupts industries. You know, obviously we all know what happened to Blockbuster after the introduction of Netflix. And if we think about it, take a look at Apple. Apple's one of those few examples where they actually, one company cannibalized its own business with new technology. I mean, think about that. How, when was the last time you used your iPod? You know, right? You know, our iPods became our phones. So Apple actually eliminated one, one of their most successful products ever, the iPod, when they introduced the iPhone. Technology disrupts industries. That voice you heard at the beginning, that's Brian K. O'Rourke. Brian is the president of the Fitness Industry Technology Council. Think about that. Fitness Industry Technology Council, FIT Council. On this episode of the All About Fitness podcast, Brian O'Rourke and I talk about how technology is changing how we do fitness. Brian is a well-known industry figure and is the perfect guest for this first episode of the series where you'll be hearing from a variety of experts about how technology is impacting how we exercise. The best way to describe Brian, and I'll have a link to his website in the show notes below, but the best way to describe Brian is he's a serial entrepreneur. He tries to identify emerging technology and emerging trends and get in from the ground floor. You know, when you hear us talk today, you're going to pick us up right in the middle of the conversation. You're going to hear us talk about everything from signing in, from registering for classes, to tracking our calories and our efforts. In an industry where we use old tires and sledgehammers of workout equipment, do we really need technology? How is that changing the way we move? After a brief word from the sponsors of All About Fitness, you'll hear great insights from Brian K. O'Rourke about how technology is and isn't changing the way we sweat. If you want to get strong, if you want to get really strong, you have to use all of your muscles together. One of the most effective ways to do that can be training on an unstable or variable surface, and that's exactly what TerraCore provides. Go to TerraCore Fitness, T-E-R-R-A-C-O-R-E, fitness.com and check out the TerraCore, one, one of the most unique new fitness tools on the market. See why the TerraCore was voted one of the top at-home fitness products by Men's Health Magazine. You can stand on it, you can lay on it, you can run around it, jump on it, do whatever you want to get in shape. TerraCore will help you do that. TerraCoreFitness.com. Use code AAF10, that's AAF10, to save 10% on the purchase of a TerraCore. Whether you want to work on your strength, 
your metabolic conditioning, or your overall mobility and range of motion, Sandbells and Softbells by Hyperware are the right tools for the job. Sandbells are neoprene discs. You can pick them up, you can throw them, you can carry them, you can lift them, swing them, do all kinds of strength training stuff with them. And Softbells are two sandbells that can be joined together with a handbell to make either a dumbbell or barbell or even a kettlebell. If you want to see a great piece of equipment that can help you get in shape at home, at the office, or your favorite workout spot, go to Hyperware, H-Y-P-E-R-W-E-A-R.com. That's Hyperware.com. Use code AAF10, that's AAF10, to save 10% on the purchase of any Hyperware product, which includes sandbells, softbells, or the vest. Who are operating in industries that aren't going to be around in another decade. And, and we have to rethink everything about what we think we know, because what we think we know is really not very valuable anymore. Uh, it, it's really about mindset. And uh, when I just got my Warby Parker glasses delivered to me yesterday after I ordered the five free frames to evaluate Saturday, and I was able to get my prescription updated using an app online without going to an office, and I'm gonna get those lenses for only $300 on three pairs in the next three days, it's that kind of shit that people need to be aware of because that isn't about tech, that's about business models, understanding how to use tools in ways that serve customers. But oftentimes people get caught up in conversations about technology, like millennials, another dynamic. They have biases that cloud their vision as to what's really going on. And today, I think people tend to snack on the same crap over and over again without thinking enough about what's really happening. Well, <laughs> is that? And you're right. I mean, they they kind of we keep coming back to it. We keep having this conversation about tech and fitness. And right now, I'm Pete McCall, the All About Fitness podcast. We're speaking with Brian O'Rourke and. He is such an industry insider that, you know, I'm not even going to go into to your list of accomplishments, but we're talking about technology. And Brian, you helped found, what was the, the, the industry, you, you helped find an association about technology. What is that? And then why did you find that? Or why did you, you start so I, that? Yeah. So really another group of people started it out and that was with Intel's backing. And then uh, a number of years ago, and then they, they asked me to be involved after a few years, some great folks that everybody would know. Um, and we've been working now. We have about 50 brands and they encompass a lot of known people in the industry and some on the outside looking in. But we're a consortium or a nonprofit consortium. And what we do is share a lot of content and thinking uh, about uh, technology in the industry space um, to help its uh, adoption in, in smarter ways. So um, that's really our mission. And when we say tech, what type of tech? Because as I'm as I'm working on this story, what's interesting to me is you can consider if we look at exercise, body weight exercise, the initial body weight exercise is our technology. As soon as we started grabbing on, if we grabbed onto a pull-up bar, we're using tech. If we pick up a rock, we're adding technology. What kind of technology do you focus on with, with this with this industry council? So it's great. It's any and all technology. Um, and to your point, that means a lot of different things, right? Um, and as we were speaking about. I think people, when they talk about technology, um, they bring certain biases to the table as to what it means. Uh, technology is a term. I mean, our biology is technology. 
Uh, you know, uh, biology as a term just came about um, in the 19th century. Uh, so it's a pretty it's a pretty new term in, in the relevance of human history. But to your point, you know, fire was technology, but the cells in our body is technology as well. So uh, when you talk about tech, um, it can mean a whole bunch of different things. I mean, interestingly, to kind of illustrate this point, I would tell you that the most profound impact of the fitness industry when it comes to technology was the birth control pill. And uh, that didn't come around. That's the technology. It didn't become effective uh, as, a, as a prescribed drug until the 60s. And what it resulted in is females uh, getting choices to when they chose to have children, which led to two breadwinner households, which led to women entering the workforce at greater uh, levels, which ended up uh, kind of assimilating itself in the early 80s. And that's when the rise of the modern health club industry happened in the United States. So there, there are all these unforeseen consequences and labels people use thinking about tech that sometimes blur their vision and understanding of what it really you know, means. Um, and I wouldn't pretend that I know all of the implications because no one can accurately predict the future. But I think that everyone thinking about tech and fitness or any industry uh, in general should really make sure they're checking their preconceived notions at the door. And what has been, as you say that, what, what, what I think about is disruption. I mean, I, I would never, Brian, have thought about the pill as, as being a component of the success of the fitness industry, but I can totally see how those go hand in hand. Uh, when we yeah. look at disruption, when we look at disruption that is, that's occurred, and there's been a significant amount of it in the last few years in the fitness industry, what do you think has been the most impactful disruption we've experienced in the past three to five years? What do you think has had the biggest impact on how we do the business of fitness in the past five years or so? Well, so, you know, when you say how we do the business of fitness, <laughs> you know, when, when you say that right there, when you, you're kind of defining the disruption in a, with, within certain contexts. So, you know, when I answer the question, let me preface that a few ways. Number one, the commercial fitness business is a very small component of the overall well-being betterment business. Uh, which commercial fitness is a very small component of, right? Um, so, you know, if we're going to refine and, and kind of define the conversation around commercial fitness, you know, obviously, um, you know, what we've seen is uh, delivery of user experience in ways that are more appealing uh, and profitable to the customer. And the one I like to use as an example is SoulCycle. Uh, which basically delivered a very well-integrated singular kind of solution uh, using technology that was frictionless, hyper-personalized, and did it at a premium price and became the most pro profitable uh, commercial fitness business. Uh, juxtapose that against uh, Planet Fitness, uh, also McFit out of Europe, and some other budget models, uh, Pure Gym, et cetera, who uh, became low-cost providers and uh, you know, uh, executed a, a model at the low end. So, um, you know, when you talk about tech, uh, there's some various aspects of that. But you know, tech isn't really relevant if the business models aren't sustainable. Uh, so, the other thing is, tech is a driver of these things, but not the only thing. It's really the the symbiotic nature of technology and how it impacts things like economics, things like consumer behavior. Uh, things like, you know, these other things, which tech is an influencer of, 
but not the sole driver of. Um, so it's really the, the kind of interconnection of all those things together that is really redefining commercial, commercial fitness. But I think that when you think about tech, uh, there are going to be much bigger fish to fry and impact on tech with the overall wellness and betterment market that encompasses many other facets of human well-being than fitness alone. Well, and I think you're absolutely right on that. And that's one thing to look at is that we are a small component of, of the health and wellness market. And what's interesting is technology isn't really changing how we do fitness. I think it's changing access to fitness or who has access to the information. And I guess that's kind of the, the question I was asking was the disruption. In my, you know, from my point of view, the disruption has been, you know, how do, we, how do people access the health clubs? I mean, now you can go online. Like with SoulCycle, I think is a perfect example. I can use my phone to schedule a class. I can use my phone to, to, to text my friend to see if he or she is going to class. And then I can use Instagram to talk about class. You know, I mean, so we're seeing a completely different thing. And how do you think that the fitness industry has done in adopting that? Because to me, Brian, one of the things that I hear quite often is, well, this is the way we've always done it. And we've had this, you know, come in, pay a, you know, pay initiation fee, pay monthly, join a contract. That model's been there for 40, 50 years now. Do you think we're going to see a big change in the way that people use tech to be able to join a club in the first place? So you asked a lot of questions there. So, um, you know, first off, again, it's not just tech, it's economics. And uh, it's also from the industry perspective, no different than any other industry in the sense that legacy operators are at a, are at a disadvantage when it comes to change in the marketplace. Um, um, and that is because, A, their mindsets aren't aligned with the new era of change. B, their, their feet are in a little bit of concrete or quicksand, depending on how you want to term it. Because they, they're invested in bricks and mortar. They're invested in, in old legacy technologies. They're invested in things that you just can't flip the switch off of that and jump onto something new. It's too hard to do. So all industries face this dilemma. Um, you know, I was mentioning to you the Warburg Parky, uh, Parker, uh, Warby Parker story about my glasses. And so you think of an eye masters or others and you have to go to get a prescription and you, you know, all these things you have to do to get some contacts where, you know, I needed some new lenses. I went online Saturday. They sent me free uh, five free pair to try based on my selections using an app. I turned around and ordered three of them online. I bought them at a fraction of the price I would have paid. And they updated my prescription with an app right online. I got a new prescription. I didn't have to go anywhere um, in the in the realm of health. Uh, and wellness and fitness, you see just a cadre of new providers of solutions, be they apps, you know, like Daily Burn, be they streaming content, be they Peloton, uh, be they Noom, that app and what it does with AI on on weight uh, control and diabetes, uh, um, you know, and, and the new realm of robotics and other things that are going to become very mainstream in the next decade. So, I think when you think about the commercial fitness market, uh, you need to think about things like the music industry or things like the movie industry, uh, where convenience is a huge driver, hyper-personalization is a huge driver, frictionless commerce, I don't want to be aggravated, I want what I want when I want it, omnipresence, all these things are around the customer. And so I think the problem that exists for any industry for existing players is to keep up with that and redefine your business model completely when you're so invested in the past is almost impossible to do. 
Um, and that's that's just the reality of the challenge. That's interesting, yeah. Because every industry, as you're talking about this, Brian, what's, what's coming to mind is blockbuster. You know, is mm-hmm. is an industry, and I kind of I'm, I'm kind of considering because I'm, I'm like thinking of what is our blockbuster. I mean, you kind of have Bally's, which Bally's for listeners was a huge health club that just over the past decade kind of went away. They made a few operational decisions that just didn't go well for them. And so when you look at it, it's like, are we going to see that type of disruption where it's going to cost people go out of business? Because on one hand, you have companies like SoulCycle and Peloton doing an awesome job of using the latest technology to interact and, and engage their clients. Yet on the other hand, you have all these CrossFit boxes, which are basically an empty garage with nothing more than some steel and some heavy stuff in it. And the tech is, a friend of mine said CrossFit made it cool to run around the block. You know, so you have this juxtaposition of high tech and then low tech. I mean, CrossFit and some CrossFit is is excellent. You're picking up a sledgehammer and you're flipping a tire. So you have this juxtaposition there. Do you think that confuses consumers? Do you think that sends a conflicting message to consumers where on one hand, you have the latest, greatest technology helping engage. On the other hand, you don't. There's almost no electronic technology whatsoever. I don't think it confuses consumers. I think it's just consumers get more choices as to what they want. Uh, and and it's really what, what what we think about it doesn't matter because they don't give a shit. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, I, I think you're right. I mean, ultimately, the market is going to make the decision, right? That's right. That's right. In the United States, there are 350 drive-in movie theaters. So just because Netflix gained a lot of market share as far as streaming content, that was a cool thing. There's still 350 drive-in movie theaters around the country with hundreds of thousands of people that like that experience. So. It's not like anything goes away. I mean, I think there, you know, there are always going to be niches, right? Um, but when you start talking about winner takes all type of markets, um, um, or you talk about where the growth is going to come in the marketplace, where you talk about how the majority of people are going to be serviced under the construct of. Uh, omnipresence, hyper-personalization, frictionless commerce, you know, ultra-convenience, these kind of drivers, um, many of the delivery systems that exist today will not survive. And that's just the way it is. I mean, it's it's what happens in the marketplace. And those that figure out how to navigate that, given those economics and and the markets, they'll be successful. And those that don't, they're going to be punished. And I think that's, I mean, that's for industry, not just fitness. That's, it's industry making the smart decisions about about future investment. What do you think has helped people engage uh, in 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 being more fit and in being more active? I mean, I have an Apple Watch, and I'm one of these people where I begrudgingly use it. One one of the things I like about it is a reminder to stand. But I just I I'm a little questionable about the use of Fitbits and trackers because I don't. I just don't know if it's really going to change behavior. What have you been seeing about that with your your involvement with various companies? Are are the personalized devices like trackers and like some of the apps, are they helping people move towards a healthier lifestyle? Well, you know, I think just like apps, which, you know, I think there's a lot of you go through the the uh, uh, the, the hype cycle. Right. Um, and, you know, Gartner's uh, annual thing, they show the hype cycle, you know. Or you have this hype and then you go through the phase of disillusionment up until the plateau of productivity. Um, Before I get into the details of this, I think that we should accept the reality that the greatest products and services in our industry space have not been invented yet. 
So if you think like that, uh, you can see what's happening in the market. And, and you know, Lord help me, I, I can tell you what I think is going to happen and why, but I'm probably going to be wrong. Uh, but the, the the underlying drivers behind all this, obviously, uh, uh, you, you see the stats, you know them probably better than anybody, Pete, is, you know, uh, life expectancy for uh, the children of parents now are, are people are thinking are going to be less, um, you know, uh, you know, obesity, lack of activity. There's an epidemic out there around these type of things. Um, you know, there are a lot of adverse consequences to uh, the industrial and knowledge age economy when it comes to people's lifestyles and how they take care of themselves um, or don't take care of themselves. So, you know, in the in that background, you see legislative initiatives like FIT Act, where you're trying to see public policy aligned to incenting people because of the healthcare crisis. And you also see aging populations around the world where the cost of uh, of taking care of chronic illness is significant. So, you know, what, what this ultimately comes down to is um, a business model issue, a cost of, you know, an economic issue of how do you uh, incent people or make it worth their while to take care of themselves. Um, and then on the other hand, uh, how, why would people make that choice instead of doing what they've been doing? So I think that uh, when people get older, health and wealth preservation becomes a bigger motivator. Um, I think that um, our sick care systems, not just in the United States, but around the world, are going to become less viable from an economic perspective of avoiding cost uh, on many levels. So all the economic incentives are there to uh, start creating a broader marketplace. And when you, you know, in the end, it's about money. Um you know, there's there's no uh, there's no surprise as why the healthcare system in the United States is trillions and trillions of dollars. No one is really incented in the healthcare system from keeping people from getting ill in the first place. Yeah, right. So yeah, it's, yeah. yeah until, right. Until we start shifting those dynamics, but putting that aside, when we do shift those dynamics, and that's coming because it has to come. It's not sustainable. Um, you're seeing, you know business models out there, and there are many of them, both on the medical side as well, uh, with, you know, hyper-personalization, greater data and understanding of DNA, customized healthcare, uh, uh, merging with uh, intelligent motivational behavior dynamics that technology is going to increasingly deliver, combined with sensor and data, automation, and the fourth big, big component, which is the deployment of human capital. Uh, you know, really training people and helping them become highly effective in in delivering a service that makes a difference from an economic perspective, uh, and that being delivered in a host and variety of different economic models. I mean, just an infinite number of these that are going to, you know, cover a broad range, whether it's uh, whether it's active aging communities and a combination of both the design of those facilities to how you integrate robotics uh, into that, to care, to intelligent app interfaces, to all the time on data collection, where you can really start doing things to help uh, prevent chronic illness and to help people make better decisions about their lives. And I think that's real. I think that's. I think you're going to see that in the next decade or two becoming a big, big, big driver and a ginormous industry around the world. 
It's funny you say that. I'm going to unpack that a little bit. And one thing for listeners, Brian is referencing for the last, it's probably been more than a decade. In fact, I know it's been more than a decade. The first uh, legislative meeting I went to with Ursa was in 2007 or 2008. I was at the Millennium with Art Curtis and uh, Samara Million and went down. I worked on Capitol Hill. Before I got into fitness, I worked on Capitol Hill for a little while and grew up in D.C. around politics. And what they're doing, there are two movement, there are two bills that have been proposed. One would allow people to use their health savings account. You can correct me if I'm wrong, Brian. One, I think, would, allow, would, allow, would allow people to use your health savings account so you could use tax-free money to pay for health club dues or to pay for personal trainer's fees. So that way you can keep yourself healthy by taking classes, by taking bar, taking yoga, and pay for it with tax-free money like you do with health savings. The other one would allow smaller companies to give their employees memberships at a tax-free benefit. Because if a large company like GE has an on-site fitness center, that's free to employees as tax-free benefit. But if a small mom and pop, if, if Brian's you know business, you know, and I was an employee of Brian's business, and he gave me a, a, a health club membership, the commercial health club membership, I'd have to pay taxes on the value of that. So these are a couple of small inside games that would change some. Am I correct on that? Is that is that kind of what we're looking at? Just changing yeah, a bit of tax right. policy? Basically, yeah, it, yeah, it's basically helping to subsidize investment in uh, in primary prevention, and you. You're seeing that now extend to, to Noom, which I mentioned for it. You know, the Center for Disease Control is utilizing this platform, which is an app with, um, you know, artificial intelligence uh, to help manage and prevent diabetes, which uh, type 2 is a, an enormous uh, and expensive uh, epidemic uh, in the U.S. and around the world. So and you're looking at reimbursements coming through that because it just is a lot less expensive to get people cured of type two diabetes, which can be done over 30, over 75 percent of the time just through lifestyle modification uh, versus uh, metformin uh, prescriptions. So, as you know, so um, I think more and more um, you're going to see this uh, emerge as an economic dynamic that is going to drive a much larger uh, industry uh, uh, growth story uh, that's going to take a lot more forms outside of just commercial health clubs, which, you know, commercial fitness facilities will still benefit from that. Um, there will be uh, experiences and models that will do well with that, but there's going to be an even bigger model. And our theory is that rising tides lift all boats to the extent that <clears throat> you will see bricks and mortar and digital business models uh, fail. Um, you'll see other things emerge in new forms. You're also seeing these new hybrid business models, uh, be they Gymshark or Bandier in New York, which are apparel companies that are really fitness brands. Uh, you're you're going to see all kind of new combination of hybrids, nutrition, uh, customized concierge medicine with integrated trainers and and uh, and apps and nutrition services. Uh, I mean, you're just going to see a plethora of new models that combine these digital and physical omnipresence delivery solutions, combining all these various avenues of wellness or betterment, mind, uh, you know, uh, mindset, you know, uh, mind, body, uh, even even uh, style, uh, you know, meditation, rest, uh, sleep, hydration, uh, you know, all these different dynamics. Um, And that's why, you know, our thesis is that the greatest products and services haven't been invented yet. And well, that's why we're very optimistic about the future. And, and I agree 100%. And, and to, to take it a step further with some of the this policy stuff, and this is a little bit of a, an egghead discussion, so I apologize to the listeners, but it's talking about the policy. Is 
a few years ago, I had the conversation with Helen Durkin, and Helen's in charge of policy for the Health Club Industry Association. And my comment to her was, we're not talking about it from a jobs bill. You know, when, when we have health club operators go up to Capitol Hill, and every year the Health Club Industry Association has a, a conference to do legislative, to, to promote their legislative agenda, and they talk about scoring and the tax implications. And my response has been, talk about the jobs. Trainers can make, a good trainer can make between forty-five dollars and $90,000 a year. And that's good, that's good income. And if you, as a health club operator, if you can all of a sudden sell memberships at a tax-free benefit or you have a tax benefit on that, you may have to hire more staff. You may have to increase your, your location size. You may have to add two or three locations in your market because now you're giving people a different incentive to come in. And so I'm a little disappointed in the fact that, that, that URSA, the Health Club Industry Association, is not talking about the jobs and economic growth because what we've seen is even though we have all this technology and everything, Brian, we're now seeing because we have more soul cycles, because we have more bar studios, because we have all these studios and huge plethora of options, it's creating jobs out the wazoo. You, you know, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, when I got out of college, there was no fitness career. <laughs> you know, if you wanted to work in fitness, you basically were picking up towels and, you know, showing people their lockers. And that's it. Now, but you, now a good trainer, I mean, you know, some of the specialty trainers are making 500, 800 bucks an hour. Not to mention the people with huge Instagram followers are making $1,500, $2,000 a post for doing that. I mean, you're seeing this huge change of now we are an economical, you know, an economic and viable engine. Plus, let's, let's face the fact, nobody, nobody is flying to India or China to go see a personal trainer. So all these jobs are safe from being outsourced overseas. Yeah, so, well, Helen, and sitting on the board, and I've, I've seen some of the briefings, and in fact, they are talking a lot about economic development. I don't, you know, I wasn't present when you were speaking, but, and I know that with them years ago, but I know that Jim Worthington and the group there have done a lot of work and the the fit bill is the furthest it's ever been. I mean, we're, we yeah, could is. see it actually come into law very soon, which is just, it's taken with ACE and others and URSA, you know, just years because of the nature of the political environment is you, to your point, because you know about it and how, you know, the, the Congress works in scoring bills. And it's not, you know, it's, it's, you know, maybe sometimes people don't really want to play long ball when it comes to legislation, no matter how much <laughs> sense it makes. But I know that um, I know that um, I know that those folks are doing a lot, and it's part of a regular uh, discussion um, because of the things you're citing and more. So I think you're going to see more of that kind of stuff because it's a necessity. The the the, the path to health through chronic disease just doesn't make sense. Yeah, and, and I keep coming back to this. I had this conversation about a year ago with a woman named LaShawn Dale, who she's a VP at 24 Hour Fitness. And I don't know if you know LaShawn, but her belief when we had this conversation was we we're talking about the future. And I agree with her. Disruption is going to come, and you're saying the same thing, which is which is interesting, is disruption is going to come from outside of fitness. You know, we had you have Soul Cycle and CrossFit to some degree disrupted our industry, but they kind of evolved from inside. You know, I do think, and I'll be interested in your opinion on this, I do think we are going to have an Apple. Just like Apple's developing the driverless car, Google's developing the driverless car, Uber, these are non-auto industry companies getting ready to upend the auto industry. Do you think we're going to see a company like like Apple or Google come out with some interface or something that's really going to, we're going to be blown away? Well, again, I think you need to look at the broader market. You know, I think that fitness being a component of many things, and yes, Amazon is working on health on multiple different fronts. Apple's working on health on multiple different fronts. 
Google's working on health and, and on multiple different fronts. Because when it comes to the mother of all business opportunities, you know, health is the biggest economic marketplace in the world by far globally. So, um, and when you look at the, the mega trends and what's going on in the world, um, these companies will be significant solutions providers um, and others to come. Um, you know, having done uh, a webinar on active aging uh, for uh, ICAA and Collins Group uh, recently, I went into the active aging dynamics in particular and uh, just the whole dynamic behind what is going to occur where 10,000 people a day in the United States are turning 65 right now and what active aging is going to mean. Um, and you get to the benefits neurologically from exercise. You get into the benefits, obviously, from a, a physiological perspective in general, health. You talk about, uh, you know, big problems like bone density, uh, all these things that strength training addresses. Where what used to be thought of as uh, you know an outlier uh, of solutions for people is going to become, I think, very mainstream. And I think that uh, you know our colleague from Twenty Four, along with you, are right. And again, I would harken back to Kevin Kelly's quote uh, that I think is true for our industry space: "Our greatest products and services have not been invented yet." Um, and I think that to be part of that future, we all need to check our biases at the door about tech. And not define it as something we think it is, because the most effective tech is going to be like the air we breathe. It isn't going to get your your know it's there when you don't have it. Uh, the, the, real, the real the real differences are going to be great business models and organizations and people that figure out how to use it really well in ways that make a bigger difference. So. Um, I would imagine you being Picasso and having a blank canvas to paint any picture you'd like, because that's what the industry space is going to come to. So it's only going to be a limit of our imaginations in the next decade as to what you're going to start seeing in a way of uh, sustainable business models that impact the quality of people's lives. And that's an interesting viewpoint. And just as we get ready to wrap up here, <clears throat> for listeners, Brian and I both work with a, the same organization we both from very different perspectives. And that, that that company controls Nautilus, is, uh, has Nautilus as one of its portfolio, and Nautilus makes weight machines. And what I've really been advocating, and one of the reasons why I left the American Council on Exercise a few years ago, and another reason why I started this podcast, is that exercise can slow down the aging process. So health fitness companies out there can legitimately say that if you use our equipment to exercise, we can help you stay younger longer. I mean, there's just a rec uh, recent study released by Ball State that showed that 70-year-olds had the same muscle physiology as 20-year-olds, and they've been exercising over 50 years. So I've been really, that's why I've been pushing Jeff and, and the team with uh, Nautilus to really let me kind of reintroduce Nautilus machine training or, or, or you know, to reintroduce the circuit training because I feel, Brian, that that would be a great way to give people the benefits of strength training but do it in a safe, controlled environment because it worked. We know it worked in the 70s and 80s. If you set it up the right way, and from a staff standpoint, it's a great staff development tool because we can take a new trainer and have them run the machines for a few months as they develop their confidence and their and their ability to do that. So do you, do you think, even though, and I agree with you 100%, I think you're right that, that what we're going to be doing in a few years hasn't been created yet, but do you think we'll see a reversion back to a retro approach, like even dance aerobics or Nautilus circuit training? Do you think some of those are going to kind of cycle back and become popular again? 
I think you're going to see just a whole plethora of different choices and options. Uh, I think it's going to be about consumer choice. I also think you're going to see those choices deployed in, in new hybrids. So when you look at what Peter Diamandis is doing with his clinic, you know, the point is that they are integrating that kind of training with uh, medic, medical uh, research. So they're doing a full uh, MRI. Uh, they're doing a complete blood uh, uh, platelet analysis. Uh, they're doing a physical assessment. They're doing a psychological assessment. Um, they're doing a DNA sequence. They're putting all this data in a machine and it's prescribing them. Here's how long you're probably going to live. Here's what chronic illness we already see. Here's the prescription for you to extend your life by X number of years with nutrition, with strength training, with this lifestyle modification. Uh, here's what your DNA tells us about your likelihood of chronic illness. And delivering these things in symphony, um, I think, is going to be a gigantic business model. But I also think you're going to see people wanting to get it, you know, old school and enjoying that way, too. So I think it's going to be about what works for each individual. And I, I would I, my hypothesis would be that it, whatever the delivery systems, they're going to be very large in their in their variety. And it's you know, people are going to have a lot of different selections. But certainly one thing is unquestionable is the benefit of exercise it will continue to be reinforced as a very important component of healthy living and also an economically sound thing to promote for public policy. Because if we don't do that, it's going to cost us trillions and trillions of dollars. And, and I think you're down, and what, what, what I keep coming back to, Brian, is do you remember maybe before 1995, 1996, if you wanted to get a cup of coffee, where'd you have to go? Yeah, you went to like you went to a Seven Eleven, right? There were no right. such thing as Starbucks. Howard Schultz saw the potential, and now people yeah. wait fifteen minutes to pay six bucks for a cup of coffee. Whereas twenty years ago, you maybe got coffee at a gas station or between one place and another. So I really look to whoever can figure out that Howard Schultz model of of making people feel good about waiting in line to pay for a designer coffee. Whoever can do that for the fitness business of what we do is going to clean up in that. How can people, you have a podcast, right? You do some blogging, you put some content out there. How can people get more information about the work that you're doing? So they just Google B-R-Y-A-N and then space O-R-O-U-R-K-E, or you can put the positive people O and the R. I'm on every major social channel. It's a fitness plus technology podcast. You can look that up too. And then of course, follow all of our companies, Videri Ventures, Vertimax, um, Ursa, um, you know, Fitness 24-7, Gold's Gym Houston. We're all online at every channel you'd want to see. So uh, thanks so much, Pete, for all that you do for the industry, by the way. Been a big fan for many years, and it's a great honor to be on your podcast. Well, first, before I do the outro or talk about my thoughts around our conversation, if you enjoyed that conversation, if you enjoyed that interview, if you're a regular listener of All About Fitness, can you do us a quick favor? However you're listening to this, reach down really quick right now. Reach down. Look for the rating and give us a five-star rating. You know how this works, folks. The more ratings we have, the more easy we are to find in search bars and everything like that. So that's one thing I ask. Number two is if you're enjoying the podcast and you want to learn more about fitness, you want to learn all about fitness, then pick up a copy of my book, Smarter Workouts, The Science of Exercise Made Simple. Folks, I've been teaching personal trainers for 15 years. In Smarter Workouts, I tell you everything you need to know about how to use exercise to enhance your quality of life. There, there's my pitches. Five-star rating. You know you enjoy this. 
Number two, smarter workouts are going to help you learn how to use exercise to boost your life. Boom, out of the way. Now, that was my first time really talking in depth with Brian. We've been at a few meetings together. I've you know heard him speak. And he's really he has a great way of seeing the industry, of seeing the whole macro thing. And I really personally, I don't really have a... I don't have an opinion about technology. I'm one of these people that, that sometimes I track my workouts religiously, watch my heart rate, calories expended, everything. It's data, right? I mean, technology, heart rate trackers, everything give us data. Well, data is no good unless you really know how to use it. So if you're one of these people that really enjoys watching every calorie, you know, is your heart rate 170 or is it 167? Is, it does that really matter? If you're one of these people that really dials into the numbers, Technology may help you just enhance your overall exercise experience. But then there are a lot of people who just technology is a little bit overwhelming. We don't need to use it, right? You know, people just want to go out for a walk. They can do that. The only tech you need for a walk is shoes and clothes, depending on where you live. But shoes and clothes is all is like low-tech exercise. You don't need to spend hundreds of dollars a month on equipment and trackers and app subscriptions. A pair of shoes and, you know, gen, you know, generous. That <laughs> doesn't really make sense. A decent set of shoes and a, and a set of exercise clothes is all you really need to start your exercise habit. Now, I want to share something with you. It just happened. Just doesn't matter when this happened because this stuff stays evergreen. But, but technology has allowed me, as a freelancer and a writer and, and somebody who works for himself, I spent a lot of my time in coffee shops. And I spent a lot of my time in a large national chain of a coffee shop. You can figure out which one it is. Over the years, I got to know one of the man. I got to know the manager of the one near my house. She had her kids right around the same time I had. We had our kids, and so we got to know each other a little bit. And you know, we've stayed in touch. And so we stay in touch through Facebook and through Instagram. And recently, I got a membership at a national health club chain, one that I happen to write for Twenty Four Hour Fitness. I write for their online magazine, and my friend is a is a member of that. So I went to meet her for a workout, and I she changed. I moved. She moved. So I haven't seen her as much the last two or three years. But I've been able to keep track of her efforts via technology. And this woman is a manager of a Starbucks. And over the last few years, she's lost more than 30, I'd probably say 40 pounds. She manages a Starbucks. She has two young kids and she's been able to make exercise a priority and, and lose a lot of weight. And just, and when I talked to her about it, when we talked about it, it wasn't really about the weight. It was just about quality of life and health and energy. And she loves, you know, this is somebody that didn't do much exercise, but she loves it now. It's her release. And technology helps her. She's one of these people that uses selfies to hold her accountable. She wants to measure her progress. Technology allows her to do that. You can use selfies to measure your progress. One thing I recommend to people, if you want to measure your progress, get on a treadmill. Set the treadmill for whatever you want. Walk, run, I don't care. Set it for three miles an hour with a 2% incline. 3.0 on the, on the speed, 2% on the incline. How far can you walk in 10 minutes? You know, is that comfortable? Okay, if you did a mile in 10 minutes, okay, good. Maybe next time you can do a little bit more. But that's one way you can use technology is track your progress, small. And here's the thing. At the end of the workout, if you walked on the treadmill for 10 minutes, take a photo of it so you can track how far you walked. If you walked for 10 minutes, take a photo. Did you, you know, walk a quarter mile? Did you walk three miles? However, that way you can use that and measure your progress. Low tech, take a picture of the results with your phone, keep a hold of it. Over the next number of episodes, you're going to hear from a variety of experts on how technology has changed the way we do things. There's even be somebody talking about a way to hack our brain to help us learn how to move better. I'm serious. There's technology out there, commercial technology that you could buy right now that can help you be a better athlete. And that's coming up soon. 
Thanks for stopping by this episode of All About Fitness. If you have any questions or comments, I actually have a new email address. It's All About Fitness Podcast, All About Fitness Podcast at gmail.com. Shoot me a message. If there's somebody you want to hear, an interview you want to hear, you got feedback, keep in mind I'm an exercise expert. <laughs> I'm still working on the sound stuff. That's, that's an area where I need to get stronger. But that's one of the reasons why I do this, folks. I try to bring you information that can help you improve your quality of life and all the sound stuff. Hey, I'll figure that out as we go. Thanks for dropping by, and I look forward to having you join me for future episodes of All About Fitness.